in the world. Now, if you have your story Bibles today, you can open to page 295. If you have your standard Bibles, you can open to Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, what's interesting here, and this is the beauty of doing the story and learning the Bible chronologically, if you turn to Nehemiah, you're going to think, i got to turn to the middle of the Bible. Au contraire, mon frere, Nehemiah is in the middle of the Old Testament, even though it's some of the last historical things that take place. Because when the Bible was put together, it was put together as the law and the writings and the prophets. And Nehemiah is the last of the writings or the histories. And so it's actually before all of the prophets, but the, the story's done a great job of helping us to learn the Bible together. So you're looking probably about a third of the way through your Bible for Nehemiah. A couple of years ago, a family in the congregation was moving, and I had a free Saturday, so I decided I would go and pitch in and help. And so I went over, and, and at that stage in my life, I was still trying to prove how strong I was, so I would volunteer for the heaviest item possible. Now, I've gotten over that. Now I look at the teenagers and say, you go look tough. But at that point, I was still doing this. And there was this big, heavy stand-up freezer that needed to go down a basement. So we got it away from, from the old house. I brought it over to the new house, and I got it to the stairs of the basement. Now, the beautiful thing is, I wasn't a complete idiot at this point in my life, and I had a dolly, you know, dolly and straps. Huge, huge benefit. So I put this thing on the dolly, and I strapped it, and then I thought, I'm going to take this down the stairs. Well, an older gentleman in our, in our church, a guy in his 70s, goes, oh, Pastor Matt, you don't want to do that alone. I said, ah, I got it. He says, no, no, I, I'd like to go in, in front of you and, and guide you down. And I said, oh, all right, you trust me that much. Huh? He goes, yeah, we're going to be fine. We got a strap. We got a dolly. I thought, all right, well, this is going to be great. So we strapped it on the dolly. We moved to the first step. He got below it, and we said, I said, are you ready to go? He says, I'm ready to go. All right, one, two, three, down one step. But I heard an odd sound when we went down that step. And I thought to myself, this, this freezer is unusually light. And I thought, eh, well, we got down one step, let's go another. We went down another step, and I thought, wow, this freezer is really light. I should have used dollies all these years. And we got all the way to the very bottom step, and as the dolly went to the bottom step just before the floor, the freezer hit the floor. And all of a sudden, the gentleman and I had a, rec a, a realization. That freezer had come off the dolly on the first step. And that gentleman had been hefting that freezer down the stairs with its full weight. So I looked at him and I said, brother, I got, I got good news and I got bad news. The, the bad news is we nearly crushed you to death. The good news is you are really strong. <laughs> I, I knew that freezer felt light. You know, and I can't tell you today how much of that weight of that freezer was still caught up on that strap, but it had definitely fallen off the bottom of that dolly. And I don't know how much he was hefting and with that strap how much I was hefting, but we got it to the bottom of the stairs. And our strength and our effort somehow melded in that moment a lot more than it was supposed to meld. Well, you know what? That's what happens with us oftentimes with God. And as I come to the end of the Old Testament, I'm, I'm struck by this concept that we are constantly to be at work with God. God set Adam and Eve out in the garden with a task, and he has been continually giving his people tasks from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, from chapters 1 to 21 in the story, he wants to work with us. And part of our redemption story is that God and us, we partner together in God's plans in the world. But as a pastor, one of the biggest questions that I get on a regular basis, one of the things that people are always concerned about and talking to me about is, how do I know if it's me and how do I know if it's God? 
How do I know if it's my ways, my thoughts, my plans, or if it's God's ways, God's thoughts, and God's plans? How do I know? It's one of the things that I talk to people about regularly. Well, we have a beautiful model of leadership in the book of Nehemiah this morning. A beautiful melding of that God-man relationship, that God-human relationship by which we partner with God. And all of a sudden, the lines get blurred a little bit. The lines get blurred. But today, my goal before we're, we're done is to share some things with you from this very last leader of the Old Testament that will help you identify when you walk out of this place today and you begin to do more or do different things for God, it'll help you to confirm, is this God or is this me? Am I in the place that I'm supposed to be or am I out ahead of God or behind God? Nehemiah has some wonderful lessons for us this morning. Now, as the book of Nehemiah commences, we have, as we talked about last week, God's people, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, scattered throughout the ancient world, the diaspora, they are dispersed throughout the ancient world, ready to help people come to know the Messiah, the Savior who is coming. But there is also a group of people who have returned to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple under Joshua and Zerubbabel. They got things going in the Holy Land again. There are exiles who have returned to the promised land because one day Jesus himself is going to stand there and he is going to remake everything we know about how to come to God, be with God, and remain with God. But there's a bad report that comes from Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. He's in a position where he is the cupbearer to the king of Persia, the most powerful man on earth. He was his food taster. Pretty plush job. I mean, if you're the king, you eat the best food, right? And if you're the cupbearer to the king, you eat the best food with the king. You are a friend of the king. You're in a very exalted position. But as the exiles from Judah and Jerusalem come back to the capital of Persia, they begin to tell Nehemiah a story that he really doesn't want to hear. And that's where we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, or page 295 of the story. Those who returned to Persia from Jerusalem said to me, those who survived the exile are, in an, are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess my sins, we Israelites, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. So Nehemiah hears the report. Hey, the temple's been rebuilt but the land of Judah and Jerusalem, not looking so good. In fact, the once great city of David is completely and utterly destroyed. There's a temple, there's some houses, and that's about it. Nehemiah is horrified. He sits down and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. And I believe he did this because God had given him what I like to call an inspired upset. An inspired upset is when God places something on your heart or on your mind and, and you recognize something in his kingdom, 
something that needs to be done, something that should take place, something that's not quite right, something that has room for growth in God's kingdom needs to take place. That's inspired upset. That's, That's hearing something from the Lord. Part of what we do here on a Sunday morning is an exercise in inspired upset. We, we, we pull out the scriptures and, and we read what should be according to the word of God. And then God works in our hearts and says, but, but is what should be what is? Do you have a little bit of inspired upset about what should be as opposed to what is? Is there a gap in our lives? Is there a gap in, in the ministry that we do? Is there a gap in the church in which we serve? Is there a gap in the way in which we tell the story of Jesus Christ in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our job? We, we begin to get these moments of inspired upset. God places something on our hearts, and we, we, we don't know why it's coming to us so strong. You know, Nehemiah very well could have said, oh, that stinks. Jerusalem lies in ruins. That's a shame. But that's not what he does. Nehemiah could have very well looked at that situation and go, no. All those people who went back to Jerusalem, what a bunch of lazy slugs. He could have looked and he could have cast blame. He could have looked and he could have just felt bad about it. But for some reason, God places something in his spirit that something needs to be done. And so he fasts and he prays. And the interesting thing about his prayer is it takes you all the way back to God revealing himself to Moses. He talks about how God is full of steadfast love and faithfulness, and he recognizes that the reason that they had been exiled in the first place was due to their sin. He recognizes that God still wants to partner with God's people in spite of their sin. So that next question is, what's he going to do about it? Well, Nehemiah fasts and he prays and he mourns and he comes up with a plan. And the plan is this. I'm going to go to the king of Persia, the ruler of the world. I'm going to walk up to him and say, hey, I know we're good buds. I know that I taste all your food to make sure no one's poisoning you, so you trust me pretty well. I'm going to need you to send me back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of what was once God's kingdom and, and should be again. So Nehemiah decides he needs to do something about it. And on page 295 or verse 11, this is what he prays to the Lord. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, this man being the king. He says, God, I need you. I need you to do something in my life so I can do what I think you're calling me to do. But what he thinks God is calling him to do is going to make him a pretty willing participant in sacrifice. Like I mentioned, Nehemiah has got a pretty cushy job. He's in one of the best places that one could ever hope to be. He has the ear of the king of Persia, and he's going to go back and try to accomplish something for God in a backwater province, in in a place where nobody really wants to be. Nehemiah becomes a willful servant and someone who is willing to sacrifice on behalf of God. How do I know it's really God speaking to me? How do I know that this inspired upset is not just me being oh, a little ticked off about something that I see? How do I know that, that, that I'm not running out ahead of God and trying to do something that I'm not supposed to do? How do I know if, if what God was stirring in my heart that Sunday morning really was him? Well, two things. Number one, does it drive you to prayer? Does it drive you to go, God, what am I supposed to do with this? 
Does it drive you to say, God, what, 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 what is it that you're stirring in me? Why is this happening? What do you want me to do? Because that's what Nehemiah does with his upset. He doesn't just go, oh, that's a shame. He doesn't just look at his friends and go, how'd they get into that position? He doesn't just say, the world's falling apart. He goes, what am I going to do about it? And then he goes to the Lord and he prays for favor because he's going to go do something that's going to cost him greatly. Put himself at great risk. A sacrifice is needed to get things accomplished. And if we've seen anything from chapter 1 to chapter 21, it's that sometimes, almost every time, to get the work of the Lord done, people on earth have to do something sacrificial. They have to do something that will cost them. How do I know it's the Lord? I'm ready for it to cost me something. I'm ready to sacrifice. I'm not just going to take my suggestions and write them down and take them to somebody of influence. I'm willing to do something about it myself. And that's what Nehemiah is ready to do. Well, the good news is King Artaxerxes of Persia really likes Nehemiah. He says, Nehemiah, go ahead, go back to the promised land, go back to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you can rebuild those walls. Look at the bottom of page 295, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. Nehemiah says, I went back to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. Catch this, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night I went through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate. Don't stay there. Examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night examining the wall, and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Catch it, he says it again. The officials did not yet know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had not yet said anything to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem he waits three whole days, and then he goes and inspects the walls by night so that no one will know what he's doing. You say, Pastor Matt, what are we supposed to derive from that? Well, I'll tell you what I derive from that. Nehemiah avoids vision vomit. You say, what do you mean by avoids vision vomit? Well, for those of you who are newer to the church world, vision is a foreseeable future that God's given us and placed in our hearts. You'll hear the word vision a lot of times. It's, it's, it's a desired future or a desired outcome that God's placed in our hearts. So God places this desired outcome in Nehemiah's hearts. We're all, in Nehemiah's heart, we're all going to work together to rebuild the walls for the, because we revere the name of the Lord our God. See chapter 1, verse 11. We revere God's name, so we're going to do this thing. But I didn't come straight to Jerusalem and go, Hello, I'm your new governor. Time to rebuild the walls. He doesn't just vomit his vision all over everybody. He doesn't just come to a place and say, in his excitement and his, 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 the favor that God has shown him and what he's seen in prayer and, and what God has laid on his heart, all of that has to be stirring within him. But for some reason, Nehemiah makes a big deal out of saying, I didn't tell nobody. I kept it to myself. I waited until the time was right. One of the greatest lessons my youth pastor ever taught me, I had a vision for, for, for God's future for my life, 
and I was telling him all about it one night after this great time of prayer that we had had, and I remember sitting on this balcony with me, he looked at me, he says, protect God's vision, don't share it with everybody. Don't share it with everybody. You wait until the timing is right, otherwise your vision is going to become something that's completely somebody else's. Nehemiah shows great timing here. He goes and he gets to know the people around the city of Jerusalem. He waits three days so that they can't say, hey, what's he really here for? Then he goes out at night to inspect the walls. And that's the second thing, that when you avoid vision vomit, not only do you wait for the proper timing, but you gather facts. How's that for you, those of you who have gone through maximum CEO leadership training? You gather the facts. You gather what you need to know. You don't go in blind. You don't get to the walls of Jerusalem and go, hey, look at these, let's rebuild. He goes and he devises a plan. He gathers facts. He makes sure that he has examined things ahead of time. He doesn't go to the officials or the nobles or the people of influence with some half-baked plan. He comes with the whole thing. He makes it very clear what God has laid on his heart one day. He makes it very clear what they're supposed to be doing, but he does it in God's timing and after gathering the facts. He avoids vision vomit. And I want to tell you something. A lot of times, we as Christians, God gives us something. He downloads a vision to us. He gives us something that, that gets us excited. At first, we're upset, and then we're excited, and then we're ready to do something for God. And the very next thing we want to do is just spout it to the world. And people start looking at us like we have three heads. And I imagine there might have been a few people who looked at Nehemiah like he had three heads. We're going to rebuild the what? Us? Come on. <laughs> Nehemiah uses the proper timing. He does the research. And then Nehemiah builds a team. He builds a team. And when you have the right timing and when you've done the right research and when the Lord has laid it on your heart and when you're able to build a team, you're probably in a position where you're moving in lockstep with God. Because God's a team builder. You say, how do you know God's a team builder? And Jesus called out the 12 to him. God's a team builder. You see, Nehemiah waits for God's timing. Mark chapter 1 says that Jesus came at just the right time into human history. Then Jesus does some things he needs to do to prepare for his ministry, 30 years worth, in fact. After 30 years, he calls disciples out to him and begins to build a team which, by which he's going to change the world. Nehemiah waits for the right timing. He does his research, and then he builds a team. It's not in your story, Bibles, because of the length of chapter 3 of Nehemiah, but if you want to do some cross-referencing in your standard Bibles, look at Nehemiah chapter 3. Look at the team this guy builds. He's able to reason with people as to why the walls need to be rebuilt. He's able to look at people and say, we can do this. We can accomplish this for God. Yes, this is a massive city. No, very few of us are, are, are not. We're not stonemasons. We don't, we don't have the, the requisite skills. But yes, we can do this. And he builds an incredible team. Now, there's some things that you might want to look at to the adverse today. You say, how do I know that it's, that it's me and not God? Well, number one, did you pray and did God drive you to your knees? Number two, were you willing to sacrifice anything? Number three, did the minute you had the inspired upset, did you have to go and tell somebody immediately? Did you have to go and spout it to everybody? Or, or did God say, hold on, wait a minute. Let's wait till we've got this thing thought out and planned together. Let's wait until God's given you some wisdom on how to take, make it happen. 
because you need to have that because you can begin to get plans started and you can begin to build a team and you can begin to know that God is working. But as we talked about last week and it's going to be true this week, opposition's going to come. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, page 297 in the story. Here comes the enemy's plan. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it, all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. Boy, that's how we know Nehemiah is a great team builder, right? The people worked with all their heart. Verse 7, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. So all of the surrounding provinces under the headship of Persia, who are sort of autonomous, don't like that the Israelites are doing anything in the Holy Land, in the Promised Land. They don't like that they're, that they're building anything. They want to keep them subdued and subjected and down. So they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Look at verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. You see, the opposition does come. Evil does rear its ugly head. Things get tough because people do not want to see God's plans come to fruition. And God's people have to have a steely resolve. And how do they do that? Nehemiah says, when the opposition came, we prayed. When the opposition came, we did not rely only on our own strength and only on our own might and only on our own plans and only on our own thoughts, only on our own ways. We prayed some more. We recognized that it wasn't going to be easy to accomplish all the things that God had placed in our hearts because there is a battle going on in this world. And things do get hard and things do get tough and God has things that he's trying to accomplish and the enemy has things of God that he's trying to thwart. So Nehemiah says, we prayed. And Nehemiah says, we posted a guard. Now you say, did the Lord tell them to post a guard or did they just post a guard? He doesn't say. He doesn't say. But we're not going to judge either way, are we? Because we know that Nehemiah was staying connected to the Lord. And sometimes when you're staying connected to the Lord, you could just move forward in faith knowing that you're going to be in God's favor. See, a lot of us get caught up in paralysis by analysis in church work, don't we? We wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. And even though we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray, we just never take that step forward and say, God, I'm going to trust that your favor's on me. But Nehemiah says we prayed and we posted a guard. You can read in your story Bibles how half of the people were armed half the day, the other half were working. They didn't stop the work because of the threat. They met the threat and kept on working. Nehemiah also does a great job of keeping the people connected to the Lord. He gives them an incredibly encouraging speech. Remember, the Lord is awesome and he's great. Fight for your families. Fight for, fight for your children. Fight for this city. Let's do this thing. Nehemiah encourages in spite. In spite of the problems that they face. You see, these are more ways that we can know that we're connected to God. Not only are we willing to go back to God when things get tough, but we're willing to encourage our team in the Lord when things get tough as well. We're not hanging our head and going, oh, well, 
I guess this wall will only get built to half its height because opposition has come. We're out. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us half of the way towards the vision that you've given me. From now on, we're just going to cool it. That's not what he does. They go to the Lord. They post a guard. They continue the work. I was talking to a guy just yesterday, and I said, we were talking about how do we know if it's the Lord and how do we know if it's us? And, and, and so much of the things we do for God, they're a process. They don't happen in one day. It's not like every situation is, hey, go down to the riverfront today. You're going to meet a guy in a red shirt. You're going to say, hey, do you know Jesus? He's going to say, no, I don't know Jesus. Would you like to know Jesus? Yes, I'd like to know Jesus. Let's pray right now. Would you like to come to my life group? And the next thing you know, he's a Christian. You know, not all of our assignments from God are going to be like that. A lot of them are going to be processes. So we've got to stay connected to the Lord, but we also have to move forward in faith. So I was talking to this guy. He says, how do we know we're moving forward in faith? He says, you know what? It's tough sometimes. This guy had been a missionary. He'd been an elder at churches. He said, it's tough sometimes. He said, but I'd much rather God give me a speeding ticket than a parking ticket. And I said, oh, I like you. I'm going to use that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to post the guard, don't you? Because that's what makes sense. Sometimes you just got to trust that the Lord is not, gonna, not going to give you every single step in, in the path, and, 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 and I won't move until I hear definitively from you. You just go, no, I trust, Lord, that you've given me this vision, that you've given me the wisdom, that you've given me the capacity. I'm staying connected to you, so I'm going to move forward. And that's what Nehemiah does. Now, some of us are parking ticket Christians. And we're waiting for everything to be spelled out for us. Some of us need to be caught for speeding. Because we do get out ahead of the Lord. It just depends on who we are and, and, and what kind of background we have. But I want to tell you, if you're the speeder, slow down and pray some more. If you're the one that's always starting things for God but never finishing them, or burning out, or yeah, my ministry fell apart, yeah, my team fell apart, yeah, I started doing that, but I ended up not having the energy. If that's you, you're a speeder. Slow down. Pray. Wait for God's timing. Build God's team. But if you've been sitting in park for a long time, waiting for God to drop the perfect vision in every step in your lap, it might be time for you to put the car in drive and begin to move. If you're prayed up, get going. Now, Nehemiah stays connected one more time. I want you to see in chapter 6, verse 9, that Nehemiah is not the perfect leader without fear. Two, page 299 in the story. The, the opposition goes on for chapters here in the story, for months. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking that their hands will get too weak for the work and not be completed. But I prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands. Isn't that interesting? I want, to show, I want to show you Christian leaders something. I don't want you to miss it from the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah encourages others in the Lord, doesn't he? He says to them, God is awesome. God is great. God's going to do these things. But Nehemiah also faces the personal battle. And he goes to the Lord and says, Lord, I need you to strengthen my hands. And anybody who leads and anybody who, who is in a position of leadership, you have to remember this. You can't just be the cheerleader. You also have to be connected yourself. Do not try to build your ministry on somebody else's connection to God. Don't try to build God's vision on somebody else's prayers. You stay connected to God. Nehemiah is personally under attack. 
And he needs God to strengthen his hands to remind him that the work is worth doing and that God's going to complete it for his glory. Nehemiah takes his encouragement for the Lord. Well, look at the payoff. The payoff here is on page 299. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. 52 days. Some of you are thinking, we can't come to a vote at my business in 52 days. We, we can't even bring things to a vote in 52 days. Some of you might be thinking, thinking that about the ministry that you're in right now. We can't get that. 52 days, they rebuild the walls of a major city. There are no excavators. There are no hydraulic cranes. They are lifting the stones into place themselves. They are building the gates out themselves. 52 days. Here's the interesting thing about this. The people of the ancient world, the people that were surrounding Jerusalem, they knew this was an incredible feat. They knew that there is no way humanly possible that those Jewish people could have rebuilt the walls of their city in 52 days. That's what Nehemiah tells us. And what happens when things like that happen? When the people of God accomplish more than the people of God could have ever dreamed or imagined, God is glorified. See, that's the final thing. That's the final way to know, is it God or is it me? Is what's driving you that you are glorified and that you can say at the end of the day, look at all I did for God. Let me tell you the war stories of what I accomplished for God. Let me tell everybody about what I did. Or is God glorified through what you're doing? Is that what's driving you? Remember Nehemiah back in chapter 1 verse 11 said, we are doing this because we reverence the name of Yahweh God. We are doing this because we want to see God glorified. And if the walls of Jerusalem, his holy city, are broken down, it looks like he doesn't care about his people and he has no power. So therefore, let's go back and rebuild those walls. That's the final litmus test for knowing it's not me, it's God, because ultimately the goal is that God is glorified through it. But of course, Nehemiah says it wrong. He wrote it the wrong way. Look at verse 16. He says, because they realized the work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah would have never survived in 2019 American Christianity. Because Nehemiah should have said, and we completed God's work. God completed his work with our help. That's how he should have put it, right? But here's the beautiful thing. And this helps us to get cruising down the road and doing work for God. Don't worry about semantics. Worry about whether God's getting glorified. You know, it's sometimes we Christians can be pretty harsh on one another because people said it the wrong way. Well, guess what? It was said the wrong way in holy inspired scripture. So it must be okay that we can say, yeah, we did that and God helped. Oh, you, you expect a lightning strike to happen when you say, and God helped me. Accomplish what I accomplished. Let's stop getting on each other for saying it the wrong way and start encouraging one another to do it the right way. 
Let's get things accomplished for God, trusting that if we are people of prayer and people of his word and people who trust him and people who believe that he's great and he's awesome, that we can do it in Jesus' name. That's what we need to be inspired by. And the 52 days stuff, that's going to begin to happen in our lives. So what are you inspiredly upset about today? What gap do you see in God's kingdom? What gap do you see in ministry? What gap do you see in the church? What, what keeps you up at night? What brings you to the end of every single service that you, we have here and you're going, I got to do something. And then you walk out and you're like, where are we going for lunch? <laughs> you need to take that back to prayer on Monday. The chicken chow mein will wait. It'll wait. Take that back to prayer to the Lord. Say, God, what do you want me to do with this? And then say, God, you want to do something through me? What am I going to have to sacrifice? Let me count the cost right now. Because I want to see this happen for you and your kingdom. And then you begin to do your research. Then you begin to make your plan. Then you begin to build your team. So that you can make it happen for God. You stay connected to him always hoping that God will be glorified. What a great lesson in leadership. You know, the beautiful thing about our redemption is not that we become perfect people. Did you know that? We won't become perfect till heaven. The beautiful thing about God's redeeming work in our lives is that we get to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. So if you're in park today, put it in drive. And if you're speeding today, hit the brakes and seek the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have so much good to do in and through us. And as we just mentioned, part of our redemption, part of being redeemed, part of coming back to God is not that we become perfect, though you do call us to begin to live more like your son. But Lord, we can begin to partner with you in what you're doing in the world today. Lord, some of us are serving tomorrow at VBS. May we pray and say, Lord, what are you inspiring me to do this week? Help me not just to fall back into I'm filling a gap, but help me to hear from you what I'm supposed to do. Some of us this week, Lord, are going to see people in our neighborhoods, and you're going to stir our hearts. God, would you stir our hearts completely that we might ask, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Where can I step out in faith and meet you where you're working? God, some of us are going to go into our workplace this week, and we're going to see that same situation that we've seen over and over and over again. And our inspired upset is going to well up within us. Drive us to our knees, Lord. Say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is it that I need to sacrifice? Where can I fill the gap for your kingdom and for your name? Some of us need to be encouraged in the Lord today. You've given us a vision. We're halfway through. But the attacks of the enemy are coming. You don't have the talent, the enemy says. The enemy says, you don't have the time. The enemy says, you don't have the resources. The enemy says, you don't have the team. The enemy says, you're never going to get it accomplished. And the Lord says, I'm bigger than all of that. Some of you need to trust him today, that he is great and awesome. Stay connected to him. He'll bring to completion the work he's placed in your heart. Whatever it is that the Lord's laying on your heart today, let's take it to him in prayer. Spend a few minutes in this place. Just saying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Our prayer team's going to come stand across the front. 
If you're saying, Pastor Matt, I'm having trouble praying right now. I'm having a hard time. I need somebody to pray for me to get me through this battle. Someone's here to pray for you to get through this battle. You come right now. They're coming, you come. They'll meet you right here. They'll pray for you. You're in a battle. You're trying to accomplish what God's asked you to accomplish, but things have gotten tough. You come pray right now. People are coming. You come. I'm just going to spend a few minutes in prayer today. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer, so let us pray. Spend a few minutes with the Lord this morning.